Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Open the Voice Gate for August 21st, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find our show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on our Open the Voice Gate podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Click the red box that says Sponsors Podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. Uh, no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Joining alongside, as always, Kay Slow. In this edition, as you would have guessed, we're recording a little early. It's uh, Dangerous Gate was, as of time of recording, basically 36 hours ago. And we're going to devote this week's episode completely to this. Case, how are you doing before we get into Dangerous Gate talk? You're welcome for the early Open the Voice Gate podcast schedule. Every once in a while, you have a scheduling conflict that works out in your favor. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, let me, you know, I I normally I don't like broadcasters that talk about the weather, but we are dealing with very unprecedented times. What is it like? 110 degrees where you're at right now. So today it was only 107. Okay, that's wage. that's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we had a couple of 111s and 112s late last week. It's, it, it's something where, like, everyone is at the point where it's a collective three or four weeks of it, and then we're through. Like, the, it, it is at that point. The problem is, is that I, I, I think a lot of areas has have, like, their own idea about, like, oh, if you don't like the weather, wait a minute. Everyone says that. Like, they said in Fort Worth, they say it in the Carolinas. That's not true. Uh, it's not true for it being like specialized the thing that gets you and, and the real fucker of this to be quite uh frank is the fact that we had like three days in the 90s with lows in the 70s that like started to give you a little bit of a tease before the last month that's gotcha. the issue 
that that I have. But like, no, I've been like luckily I've been I guess lucky. Like the wildfires haven't kicked up around here. I've been though glued over the last twenty four hours over to Southern California. Luckily, it seems like the whole thing via hurricane, uh, all of my loved ones kind of seem like other than a whole lot of rain they kind of lucked out on this one but like the weather is crazy man i well what's in chicago like a nice like 95 right now yeah yeah heat wave coming this week so I, look I'm, I'm game for it it's a heat wave for a few days i can always deal with that but yeah i just i check in because i i worry about you you know you're a uh and you're you're a delicate soul i just want to make sure that texas heat isn't getting to you too bad I, I, I don't know how it is because you're not the only one who does this that like I have somehow a reputation that precedes me that I'm kind of like a delicate snowflake, like a bubble boy thing, because well, I, the, the, I, I, you can handle your own. It, but it's just, you know, I, I, I want to make I, sure mine are taken care of. Well, I appreciate it. It's the exact same thing that my girlfriend asked me. It's like, I, you're drinking water. Right? I'm like, yes, I, I, I am. And then I'm. And then I'm like, well, it's a good thing because I went outside. Like the that the thing that really sucks about all this is that if you want to, uh, like, other than like people who normally have to work outside, and that's its own thing. If you want to do anything outside in Texas until uh, during the day, and really up into the evening, you have to get it done before 10 a.m. That's the thing that sucks because it's just too hot to do it otherwise. Too hot. These the, these girlfriends and their water. I I tell you what. I I get texts every day. Have you drank water? Are you drinking water? Are you gonna have water? I hate drinking water. I I. It's never something. I do it because I have to. I would never by choice for pleasure ever drink a bottle of water. Oh, it's terrible. I hate I hate the way water tastes. I don't like the way it smells sometimes. I'd love to have a white cherry Powerade, a lemon lime Gatorade, a fruit punch Gatorade, uh, any of the body armor flavors I am a fan of. But when I have to drink straight water, terrible. Do not like it whatsoever. What if we found some way to get some electrolytes in there? Because that seems to be your the, the I, thing. I'm freaking high on electrolytes. For. I freaking love the things. I just you know the the she's got like the filter thing. Oh, yeah. I don't have that. So if I'm drinking water. And here's the the messed up part. If I have to drink water, I would prefer it be Dasani. That is my go-to choice of bottled water. But I just ugh. Dasani like tastes like tastes. plastic, man. It tastes no, like plastic. It it actually has uh some richness to it that I enjoy. Like a bottle of ice mountain. Oh man, I better be I better be dehydrated and in trouble. I there better be danger afoot. If I'm drinking a bottle of Ice Mountain, I have zero interest in that whatsoever. I I guess like the the question I have that uh, seeing that we both have water girlfriends, how, about how many uh, cups or drinks are you dealing with at the same time? Because we're talking about for it's a three or four here with what they're drinking. Yeah, yeah, like three or oh four separate God. beverages it, at the same time. It's yeah, it's there's always cups everywhere. Some are finished, some aren't. She's got the big water bottle that she takes with her on the go. But then at home, it's this individual glasses where, you know, there's two on the dresser. There's one in the living room. There's one in the kitchen. And then there's still the big water bottle that is around there somewhere. It's a problem. Oh. It's an obsession. It, it's something with, with my lady friend that uh, it's not just the individual, like, 
glasses because we uh she's got me into being a stanley household you know like that kind of basic like okay the, so, like, you, like, so you guys have had a very good year congratulations i, I it, it's something that like she just like leaves like half drink cups around yeah. of like her stanley's and like we'll like stay over and leave one of those things and then the next day i go like how do you have four different drinks at the same time and different beverages like it's like a water a diet coke a glass of orange juice and a thing of rose like like we're not that, even by the like way, that specific combination is horrific those are four bad <laughs> drinks i guess i can't really speak on rose but water diet coke and orange juice those are the three things i don't like I, I mean, and, and the thing is that she alternates. Like, I, I'm of the mindset that, like, if, if you're at a continental breakfast, right, we'll, we're going to the Hampton Inn Suites, and we're going down afterwards. Then the, the, the we're going down for the continental breakfast, and, and, like, I'll get, like, the little glass of orange juice and then a thing of water, and then if they have iced tea, I'm iced tea over coffee, so iced tea. But, like, I drink them in order. She goes, like, between each and every one. Like, I like takes a sip of each one. I just feel like the, the the thing is, is, if you have all those things, you have to go through in order or else you're going to get the bizarre Coke uh, orange juice, Diet Coke orange juice, like flavor combination case. And I can't imagine that's good. Like that just sounds awful to me. Just the words coming out of my mouth. So you have to do them in order, right? No, they're they're bad on their own. Any sort of mix up of the three I, I'm I'm out on. That's that's upsetting. You know, that's not that's not great. Uh, as I sit here, you know, I'm going to be sipping on a Sprite throughout this podcast. And, and I hope you are settled in with your beverage of choice as well. I this week, I've been in an iced tea mode as of late. Like, Case, I, I know that you have your fears of water. I don't have the fears. I usually go sparkling because I like the bubbles. I like no, nah, I can't, I, like I, can't it, even do, I can't even do the sparkling. That's tough. That stuff's no I, good. I, I love it. I love it. But I've been doing. I, I've been on, and I know uh, Chris Sampson and others are on these too. Like the Liquid Death Ice Teas. I I know it's basically the same thing as like the Arizona's, like back in high school and in college. But uh, that's what I've been doing. But we're living dangerous here, Case, as you were mentioning. And no, no show in Dragon Gate's history is as dangerous each year as Dangerous Gate and Odyssey Gymnasium. And I think we're gonna lead off talking. Uh, the house before we get much into it case i i told you we would find a way to lead off with attendance and i got us yes yes well done uh to you mike spears uh real quick on the attendance front we'll kind of go over the last few years here the attendance for this year's show clocked in at 1898 fans that is up basically 100 fans from last year they did 1790 in 2022 1510 in 2021 uh, 996 fans in 2020. This was still very early on in the pandemic when they ran that show. And then 2019, which is post-OWE, uh, to give you an idea of what they were doing, they did 3,394 fans for Yamato versus Ben K in 2019. So off the bat, a disappointing number. You know, a little like the Dead or Alive number this year and that it was not the dramatic increase that you would expect given the lack of restrictions, lack of any sort of COVID things going on. Now, of course, Dead or Alive approaches 3,000 fans. You lo it looks a lot better than the, the uh, 1,900 that they did here. What are your initial notes off the bat attendance-wise? So uh, there's no way I think you could even consider spinning this into some sort of win with like expectations. Like my baseline was about two grand was what I was hoping was like, okay, if it's 
clears 2000, then I would say it's fine. 2250 was kind of my, I think that would be a good number with it. And it's, it, it's something where on this show, and it could very well be the mixing with this, but that, but at least I always just out of tradition, watch the English feed for whenever there's English feed available, I'll watch it. And the crowd sounded like it was a half full arena. Like it did not sound good. It did not feel good. The, the, the thing that I wonder, and this is not me like trying to make any sort of excuse or like offering something like that. I, I wonder if it's something now where Dragon Gate with Oda being the big show of the year in Tokyo and for greater than like 15 years, basically just running 13 Corkin shows and an Oda City Gymnasium show a year. I wonder with the last few years and and also doing the Buyudens, the uh, Torimon reunions, and more Corkins, frankly. It, it, it's something where I wonder at this point if they if they are now overrunning Tokyo for at least how this company is modeled. I know for most companies, not the case. You, it's a Dragon Gate oper- operates differently, and with the touring model, I don't know if it's something where that they have overrun Tokyo, but it is something now that when you take this show and you combine it really in with uh, Dead or Alive, they're, I, we're getting to a point case where... Uh, a discussion needs to be had about Madoka Kakuda as a draw. I feel like maybe not now, but if we come, if if it's going to be another bad show like this, attendance-wise, coming out of Edeon Arena for Gate of Destiny, then I think that things are pretty clear at that point. Well, we can have that conversation real quick on Oda and Tokyo in general. You know, I'd like to talk to somebody that lives in Tokyo about that specifically, because even if and and you and I champion this more than just about anybody else, even if Dragon Gate operates differently than any other promotion. They're still running Tokyo considerably less than every other promotion. So, it, you know, if it's 15 Korkins a year and two Mochizuki Produce shows and maybe, you know, a, a bonus show here or there, I, you know, you, you got to put 2,500 in Oda City. I just think you do. And, and for reference, that's what All Japan did uh, at their peak this year. The Champion Carnival Finals, which was Shotaro, Ashino, and T-Hawk this year, that did 24-37. Uh, New Japan has hit upwards of 3K there. I found it interesting, and this is where, you know, I'm sure uh, the Stardom fans listing would be more than happy to add context to these numbers, but the 1,900 fans that Drangate did beats any Stardom show that was in the building this year. Now, that is not a statement of, you know, one being objectively more popular than the other, I'm sure if you ask the Stardom fans, these were house shows with meaningless matches, even though one of the shows had a title versus title match on it. I'm sure they didn't mean anything. It's not a reflection of the almighty Stardom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But nevertheless, you know, All Japan, I, I think, hit the mark there with the Champion Carnival Finals. If, if Drangit would have done 2,500 fans for this show, we'd go, all right, now we're cooking. This is, a, you know, a, a considerable improvement over the number that they did in 2022. It's on the path to where they were in 2019 before COVID. That would make sense. When you do 1,800 and 1,900 fans coming out of King of Gate, where I think we all agree that Coach Menorah was put in a position to succeed, now you have to look at the other side of the equation there in Madoka Kakuta, and that's really what I start, what I want to start off talking about tonight is – I think we now have evidence, and I was the person screaming from the rooftops after Kobe World saying, everybody relax on Madoka Kakuta. 
The jury's not out. He needs time to have what I would consider a proper build uh, to a Dreamgate Championship match because I do not think he got that when he wrestled Yuki Yoshioka at Kobe World. Give him another defense and let's see where we're at. And we gave him another defense. And I think it is now very obvious that the peak of this era of Madoka Kakuta was in the chase and not the title reign itself. And there is nothing wrong with that. I don't think that is an indictment on Kakuta and his long-term success. I don't even think it drastically changes my opinion on Kakuta in the short term. They, for 10 months from August of 2022 through May of 2023, nailed it. They did every single thing right with Kakuta, from being D-Courage's assistant to joining the unit, Twin Gate champion, Dream Gate champion. They nailed all of it. And it just so happened that that was the excitement that we were getting out of the bottle of juice that was Madoka Kakuta. We squeezed it dry in the build to him winning the title. We can debate, and I certainly have some ideas of what I would do to get the title off of him, but I think it is clear that Kakuta's one of these guys that was a chase guy, and at the end of the day, not a champion guy. And as you're saying, like it's not something where two or three years down the line, I think that this that this title run has caused the damage that we've seen in the past with previous Big Six members in their first title run. It's something where, yeah, it does now feel like that. I mean, the evidence is there that it, it was a chase build for it, and. I mean, if we want to talk, segue a little bit more into the show itself and the main event and Kakuta, I think it's something where as we get farther away from dead or alive, and it, it, it is something where all that momentum, that bottle, just taking his two tile defenses. And I thought that this was a fine Dreamgate match. I was four and a quarter on it. I thought that Interestingly enough, I feel like this match did a whole lot more for Kota Minora and his future, and we can get on, we can talk about that in a moment. But I just, it, it, it's something where now I think it's at a point where getting the belt off of Kakuda, he's had the title run, he's had the build to it, it's he's fine, is now the priority, and I don't know if it's the route with Shimizu is that thing. I mean, we've talked last week about how long you could keep this uh, dream challenge, this impending Shimizu dream challenge viable. I don't know if, if you want to go from first time champion to Shimizu after that long of kind of a thing at this. So I, 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 I do think we do need to start discussing that. And it's not, again, not a failure on Madoka Kakuda, not a failure really on how he's been presented is just something that like there was going to be a natural deflation after telling the story. And now we have three months worth of evidence that like, okay, we told the story. He got the ending. He's gone through Kobe world. We, he signified the era change. Now it is time to start considering about what ne what's next. I think there's a very easy roadmap to get the belt off of Kakuta. Unfortunately, I don't think Drangate's going to follow it, but we seem 
to be on the road to the thing that I suggested last week, which is Shimizu doing a trial series against the other Rewa six guys that he has not faced in singles competition yet. He's going to wrestle Bin K in a singles match at the September Corkin. I would assume Strong Machine J will be the September Osaka number two show, and Yuki Yoshioka will be the October Corkin show. I don't know that for sure. All we have now is the Bin K match confirmed, but I would assume that's the way they go there. And at that point, you're now looking at Shimizu versus Kakuta for the Dreamgate Championship, not only in Shimizu's hometown, but we're talking about six months build at this point to this match. I don't see a scenario in which they take Madoka Kakuta and they have him go 0-2 against Shimizu. And I think that is the wrong move. I think they are not seeing the force, the trees there. I think they need to revert course and change direction if that is not their plan. Because you can have Shimizu win it there, defend it at Final Gate, and then lose it at the upcoming uh, new show next year, the Gate of Bayside, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, and some of the impending things that happen on Dangerous Gate that will play out there in January. And then, uh, you know, again, whether Shimizu's losing the belt there or losing the belt in his hometown, Champion Gate in Osaka early 2024, I think you can get the belt off of him pretty easily before Dead or Alive and obviously before World and the later schedule next year. That doesn't need to be a very long reign. If they're going to continue course with Kakuta, I think the historical comp here is very obvious, and it's a it's a textbook that they can follow. It's something that I think Kakuta can pull off. It's something that I think would be an interesting wrinkle for D-Courage, and I think it is something where, again, you know, I don't think Kakuta, as he stands as Dreamgate champion, is doing active harm to the promotion. It's not like this number was worse than 2022s in the same way that it's not like Dead or Alive's number this year was worse than 2022s. World was obviously way up, but that is a combination of World being way down last year and also Kakuta not having a ton. Not, he had something to do with it, but not having a ton to do with the big house this year. I think Kakuta is in a Nigel McGinnis-like scenario. Where Ring of Honor 2007, they built Nigel up to beat Morishima, and I thought they did it perfectly. And then Nigel won the belt, and all of a sudden, all of the magic, all of the momentum, all of the fire, all of the charisma, all of the support that had been there was suddenly gone. And I think with Kakuta, although there is not the hatred there that there that there was for Nigel, I think it is a pretty apt comparison. And that means I got to see Kakuta dig his heels in. And I have to see him embrace a heel side that we haven't seen since May of 2021 and a few months earlier than that when he joined RED. It's not that he has to all of a sudden wear black and yellow and join Zebrats and undergo a complete character change. But there needs to be a wrinkle to Madoka Kakuta's character. And I think it is a massive mistake if they go into, Os- if they go into Osaka and Big Boss Shimizu is the one working heel. That's his hometown. Kakuta needs to be vicious. He needs to be hateable. And maybe that, if they decide to go with him past Gate of Destiny, will be the spark that he desperately needs as the Open the Dream Gate champion. I guess, like, I'm largely cosine, but I just wonder, like, I think... Shimizu is my big question about is this the guy to go off of just because I think you're okay in Osaka and but then you're looking at Fukuoka and that house and I don't know if really four out of your five big shows showing marginal growth or basically staying level is 
a real appetizing situation that they want to have that risk. That's the question I have. Like, I, I don't know if, if I was in, if I were in their shoes, I would feel so comfortable completing the story of Shimizu at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the, the margins between 2019 and 2022 final gate are not as great as they are for, say, a dangerous gate. 2019, which was Doi and Ben K, they did 3,200. 2022, which had Shingo and the tag match against Kakuta, and then it was Yuki Yoshioka versus Ben K, that did uh, just about 2,600. So if they can live in that ballpark, you know, if they can do 2,800, if they can do 2,900, whether it's Shimizu or Kakuta being the one that headlines that show, all of a sudden I think, well, that's, you know, that's a pretty advantageous position to be in if you're that company. That's that's a number that I could live with. And I also, I can never ignore the possibility of maybe that is Zebrats versus Natural Vibes unit disbands. I certainly feel like that match is coming up again. You know, we talked a lot about that last year, that that match is on the horizon and then it went away and they went in different directions. And I still feel like Natural Vibes versus Zebrats is back on the table at some point somewhere down the line. Yeah, and I definitely got that impression as well. So main event thoughts. Uh, I really came out of this, like I know we were talking about, Kaku uh, not Kakuda, we were talking about Kota Minora in last week and like his build in the rise and this being two years to the day of his first dream key and then now this is him getting like his legit one. I thought this match did a lot for Minora in defeat. I think like... Frankly, the fact that Minora was bloodied by the end of the match and was able to walk out with like his head a little bit hung high, I felt like that that was what I kind of needed to see out of him in this, especially in a match that I felt like came off more like a car crash in the ways that needed to be, more so than uh, Kakuda's previous style defense against Yo Yoshioka at Kobe World. There, there was a grittiness to this match, and really a grittiness to the show. And this was a show that I did not like all that much. And I seem to be the low man on it, which is, you know, I, I would argue a nice change of pace, I think for everybody, but uh, yeah, you know, this did not, this did not feel like Kakuta versus Yoshioka, which I mean, in a positive sense, it certainly did not feel like a uh, Yamato Dreamgate match. You know, this was not Yamato versus Minora from two years ago. This was this was a fight, and that is the one thing that I do like about what Kakuta is bringing to the table is that there is just a level of physicality with him that I don't remember a lot of Dreamgate champions having in the past. You know, I I, I would point to a Shingo and a Susumu and a Mochizuki, but other than that, I think Kakuta is is blazing his own trail, and luckily, whereas I think even six months ago, Minora would have not been ready for this environment. Minora hung, hung with him. You know, he looked good getting his ass kicked and he was able to come back and bring it to Kakuta in a way that was believable and made him look tough and made him look on that level. And that is the thing that he needed. You know, we came out of dead or alive ranking the Reiwa six and we had, you know, Kakuta at one and then some order of, you know, Shun and Yoshioka and Ben and Strong Machine J. And then we all felt, uh, you know, pretty much everybody in, in agreement felt Coach Minora is the sixth guy if we're ranking out the big six right now in terms of whether it's potential, whether it's where they are right now, how hot they are. And Mike, I'd throw that to you. If you were going to rank the Reiwa six right now, let's say in terms of how hot they are at this moment in time, 
what would your one to six be? Kakuda would remain one for Virtue being Dreamgate champion. And then after that, it's a lot more close right now because I think that arguments now can be made for Yoshioka, uh, uh, Minora, and Skywalker for that number two spot. And it's something where, at the very least, like as it is now, I would probably put uh, Kakuda and 821. I would say Minora, then Yoshioka, and then Shun a little bit out of sight, out of mind, at least for this weekend with the All-Star Junior Festival USA and the GCW stuff. Like He's kind of out of the spotlight, and then you go either Ben K or Strong Machine J. At this point, their momentum's kind of equal. First of all, shout out to Deadlock Pro for booking Shun Skywalker versus Brian Keith. That promotion... I don't know why Deadlock is the one that gets it, but Deadlock is the one that gets it. We'll talk about that match when it happens. Um, I would go Kakuta 1. I would still have Skywalker 2. I got to be honest, Mike. I spent a lot of yesterday and today thinking about a way to get the Open the Dreamgate Championship back on Shun Skywalker. I understood. Look, they told the right story. They finished the story. Skywalker versus Kakuta and May. I'm just, I'm not fully convinced that Shun Skywalker should not still have the belt. They, I, I really think this company, even with him being gone, even with him being in America, I think this company might be in better hands if Skywalker was still headlining your big shows. And then from there, I would go Minoru Yoshioka, Ben and Strong Machine J. Any thoughts? I, I, I have something I want to say about Minoru, but any thoughts on what I just said about Shun there? I guess like, I don't know, like, and I think that, like, that is, like, my big, like, direction coming out of this. I don't know who Dreamgate, cha- who should be Dreamgate champion right now. And I feel like in this situation, you're just as well, like, Shun is the person we know that can do, like, that as a heel. And it's easier to get the face challengers in Dragon Gate at this point in time than heal one. So, yeah, you go Shun. Yeah. I would say, if I had the pencil, I really think I would I would do Shimizu in November and then have Shimizu lose it to Shun either in December or January at one of those big shows. And then I would just I would run the Shun stuff back. I would do Doi and I would do Mochizuki and I would do KZ and I would probably do a Jason Lee defense. You know, I would I would do Minora and I would do Ben. It just seems like and then, you know, you have the M3K guys there, you know, Susumu and Junior that I think would also be online. I, I still look at this roster and I think Shun Oh, that's not, not not even mentioning Diamante there. You know, there's just there's a lot of things you can do with him because his tentacles reach to every section of the roster. And I think that's really, really intriguing. Uh, I know the Discord today, Voices of Wrestling Discord uh, on the Dragon Gate channel, were talking about whether or not it would be time to fire up KZ time again. Is KZ, let, 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 me, let me phrase it to you this way. By March of 2024, do you think KZ could become the Open the Dream Gate champion in a, in a real realistic way? I just think the time has passed for him. <laughs> like the uh, time has passed for him, period, or time has passed for him as a member of Natural Vibes. Uh, all of that, to be honest. Like I, it, it, it's something where he's done Natural Vibes now for the greater part of five years, off and on. And I just, 
he's at an age and with what the company's trying to present right now, I think that window can reopen in the future, but I don't think it's likely anymore. Do you think that argument is the same for Shimizu? Do you think Drangate presenting the Reiwa 6 and then having one of those guys lose the title to somebody who wasn't in that generation is a step backwards for the company? I think that Shimizu, in comparison to KZ, Shimizu still has the benefit of youth and also like the idea that he's close enough to this generation that he's able to like entertain the argument of, hey, how are you skipping me? I've been here all along. And I think that's different than KZ. Like, ultimately, I think Shimizu still has the profile as someone who's at least going to have one Dreamgate title run, if only because of how young he is. I just don't, I just think that you can do that step with Shimizu because of how it's been presented and his position, at least chronologically. Whereas going to KZ for a first time run at this point, it just really seems like such a big step back to me. You know, part of the other thing that intrigues me about Shimizu winning, and I, and I do think Shimizu winning deserves this level of discussion. I think it will continue through September and October until we get to Gate of Destiny in November, because even if Kakuta would be the heavy betting favorite, I, you know, I, I can't rule out the possibility. And part of what intrigues me about the idea of Shimizu winning, and it is very much a, your mileage may vary on this take. And I think for you specifically, Mike, your mileage may vary because I know your, ta- uh, your taste but I do feel like Kakucha cutting this promo in May, we're the Rewa Six, we're the guys that matter, we're the new generation, and then Shimizu winning the belt, it feels Gato-esque in the best way possible, where it's like, well, you thought you were getting this story, but nah-uh-uh, here comes another guy to ruin things. And I do love the idea of that on paper. So I- I'm with you. I, I You know, Casey, I just think it's not going to be... It's weird. You know, if he wins the Dreamgate belt, he probably should dance with natural vibes, but he's not in a position right now where that feels remotely possible. And that could change, you know, September, October, November. Maybe he's the guy that wrestles Kakuta in December. Who knows? But as we sit here in August talking about this, it certainly doesn't seem like KZ is is a remote possibility to win the Dreamgate belt anytime soon. Can I go back to Menorah for a second? I want to mention something that you and I both brought up uh, talking about the Reiwa 6 as a collective. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Yeah, so, you know, we both just sort of ranked out our guys here, and, you know, it, it's Kakuto 1 and then, you know, some combination of number 2, whether it's Shun or Menorah, you want to throw Yoshioka in there. The thing that matters is that we're both at a point now where we would comfortably rank Coach Minora ahead of Ben K in terms of momentum. And we need to take a step back and acknowledge how monumental that is because that seemed impossible in May. That seemed impossible in January. That was such a far-fetched concept last October. Minora has done an amazing job an amazing job of rehabbing himself. And my qualms with the Dreamgate match, which I only went three and a half stars on, were not specifically with Kakuta or Minora specifically. I think they were dealt, you know, a, a one in a million bad crowd. Normally my thought is, hey, you're a performer. You should be able to get these people fired up. I said in the final thoughts in my written review, 
my written review over at voiceswrestling.com. Jesus Christ could have walked through that curtain. I don't think this crowd was popping for it. It was just one of those crowds. You get you get one of those shows every G1. You get one of those every once in a while, you know, on an AEW Dynamite where the tickets could be sold, the people could be in the building, and they're just not into it. And this was one of those matches where I thought Kakuta and Minora worked incredibly hard. They had the match that, for the most part, I thought they should have had. They didn't get the desired result. I don't think that's a knock on either guy. I just think that, you know, this was a bad hand show. A lot of my thoughts on this show were, man, that should have been better. Man, that didn't go the way that I think they wanted it to. Man, that just, that should have been something other than what it was. And the Dreamgate match was the biggest example of that of the night. But a credit to Coach Minora as he has rehabbed his career over the last, really, you know, two months in a remarkable way. Yeah, and I know that the natural inclination is like, all right, Menor is over three now. What has to change? I think this match in of itself was the transformation in it. Like I, I know that folks go back to the Okada Tanahashi series with Okada walking out of a, a, a out of a Wrestle Kingdom balling and like that was kind of like the turning point kind of thing in this. I think the fact that Minoru had like a huge abrasion on his cheek. His mouth was busted open and he was still kind of walking out of the building. I think that is the transformation. And that is something that I don't think we could have predicted two months ago. No, I think it's great. You know, it's a, it's a guy they need, you know, with the, with the uncertainty of Kakuta's immediate future. Although again, I will, I will reemphasize, you know, I think long-term this will be okay. I, I, you know, Kakuta, I think, is in a better position than Ben K was in 2019 with his first title run. I think he's in a better position than Doi was in 2009 with his first title run. Both of those guys turned out okay. I'm not panicking over Kakuta, but I do think we need to have a realistic conversation of where he sits on the roster. For Minora, uh, throw all the praise, throw all the roses you want in his direction, because this is not an easy task. And where he started King of Gate to where he finished is, is quite impressive. Yeah, the the one little quirk I did not like about this match whatsoever was Case. What was the finish of every single Kota Minora match in the uh, King of Gate tournament? Oh Jesus Christ! Why? Well, I, I, what? What was it for? For the folks at home who don't know, what was it, Mike? It was the Golden Rose Fire Thunder Driver. He hit it That's five right. times. And, and of, five. of course, it was. It was the Golden Rose Fire Thunder. That's what I was saying. Well, hey, go ahead, Mike. Right. Yeah. Why did this match start out to be based around Ingranaje for ten minutes? Boy, a lot, a lot of Ingranaje work in this match. That uh, yeah, <laughs> well, a lot, a lot of Ingranaje work in this match. So, so, so this match, like the fact that I was willing to like go as high as I did on that, like they worked out of a deficit. Because there's like one thing that like really kind of annoys me is when you're telling like such a concerted effort story, like oh, Komen Nora has a new move; it's beating everyone then why are you going back to the move that he hasn't like gotten a single finish with in six months that mattered? I guess a very, very valid criticism of the match. I would feel the same way again, three and a half stars from me on what I thought was not a bad, but an unremarkable main event. And that is, you know, that is sort of where I sit uh, with the Dreamgate situation at the moment. Can I, can I bring up one other big picture Kakuta thing? Yeah, just, please to do. Look, just to look at it from a historical perspective. I want your thoughts on this. The challenges of being a babyface open the Dreamgate champion. And this is something I think we talked about last year around this time with Yuki Yoshioka because we had actually hit a pretty rare stretch 
of good babyface champions with Yoshioka and with Skywalker in 2021 and with Doi in 19 and 20. But historically, you know, the Yamato in 2016 and 2017 into Mochizuki 2017 and 2018 into Yoshino in the back half of 2018, you might look at those names and these are just the most recent examples and go, oh, well, you know, look at those names historically. Those reigns must have been great. And I would immediately push back on all of those. You know, uh, uh, Yoshino in 2013, not the best reign. Uh, historically, I think babyface Dreamgate champions have struggled. I don't know why that is. Of course, you know, there's always exceptions to the rule. There's Mochizuki in 2011. There's BB Hulk. There's the ones that I just mentioned there. But I don't think Kakuta's alone in being a babyface Dreamgate champion that just can't quite figure it out yeah and it's such a common thing within the dragon system that you would think that they would kind of support it like you want to do a compare contrast like yoshioka like they really uh, i i I don't want to say baby that rain but you set him up against the ghosts of the past those were easier kind of things to build up than oh i'm teaming up i'm facing my uh, tag team partner in the biggest show of the year you know, like the, 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 there is a bit of that. I don't think Kakuta is getting the easy treatment around his championship build. No, the, the, you're you're exactly right. Yoshioka was set up to win, and Kakuta has not been. You know, he just he just hasn't. And ultimately, some of that blame has to go on Kakuta. But it's why I'm not panicking about his long term success. I just think he's he's been dealt a bad hand here, and I, I talked about it extensively during Kobe World. You know. Rio Saito, we've seen him now a few years as a booker, and his habit, if you will, his tick, is he gets cutesy with the Dreamgate belt at World, and it's not ideal, and it's not something that I like, and he got cutesy again this year, and did Kakuta versus Yoshioka, which was undoubtedly the right match to do. They just went about it in a completely wrong way, and while Minora specifically individually felt hot going into this match i still had my concerns and i addressed them last week that hey we're coming into this match and i don't know who the baby face is and who the heel is and that's now two matches in a row two dreamgate defenses in a row that we've seen that for kakuta and my fear is that they're going to do a third one of those because he's going to walk into osaka and they're going to try to go 50-50 with him and Shimizu instead of Kakuta putting the heel of his boot into the eye of Shimizu and letting the hometown crowd carry Shimizu for that match. I think we're going to be in the same spot in November where we're going to go, man, Shimizu feels hot, but why doesn't this match feel hot? Oh, wait, because the build of it is this weird babyface versus babyface thing that's failed twice, and now we're going to do it a third time. If we want to talk about case about having some healing in a title program we don't have to look much further than the semi-main event at dangerous gate for the open the twin gate titles it was a three-way tag susumu and kanda i am not fully going to do my huge battle cry that i did before because this was not that kind of match but they walk out of otis a gymnasium remaining twin gate champions the falls went uh hyo on jfk with a neko tamashi with a aided chair and then a Yokosuka spinner on Hyo to retain for the original tag teams. And hey, Case, in your written review, you summed this up very, very well. There's only right now three members of Z Brats that are uh, currently in Japan on the roster, and they made sure that you got all of your healing possible in this uh, Twin Gate match. 
it felt like there were 30 members of Zebras at ringside in this match. I, I don't know. This was this was so long and just oh god, it was a lot. I mean, I really I was like really on board with this match. I think until the duct tape came out. And yeah. that is a spot, by the way. I got it. Enough of that. It worked in the build of this match. I'm I'm good not seeing that ever again. It just I I I'm over it. They they beat it under the ground. But I think I was on board with us until the duct tape came out. And then they kind of won me over. And then they lost to me again. And then Junior and Mochi ran in, and I kind of liked that. And then by the end of the match, I was I it I was just like, God, I, I don't even I don't even know what I thought of this match. So much stuff happened. And ultimately that just means I didn't like it because I enjoy a car crash twin gate match now and then. But this was too much. This was way too much stuff for one match. Yeah, and like the problem is is that there are some really great stuff in this. Like I think JFK and Kai, we were talking about in the lead up that they were going to have some good chemistry. And we got that into the stretch leading into the duct tape. Like they immediately went for a triple count out tease. And then they, we did finally get into a more typical three-way kind of scenario, but it was always back to Zebrat stuff. And then the duct tape, they duct tape Jason's hands to the ropes. He gets out just in time to barely miss uh, breaking up the chair shot. Neko Tamashi on JFK. And then for the next, like, the, the the thing that's wild about this match, it's a 22-minute uh, match. There's eight minutes between eliminations. Those eight minutes, you see, you see every single, like, historic Dragon Gate heel trope to the point that, okay, the win is off of, okay, you're doing all this at M3K. Well, Yazushi Kanda is the master of the box attack. He invented it. He's going to do that on you for the finish. Any catharsis you had... By that point, it was kind of drummed out by the fact that they kept on going back to it. It looked like M3K was going to finally vanquish. You would have Junior and Mochi in there to help out for the finish, and then they kept on going. They let, kept let's on going. list. Let, let's list what all they did. So, Natural Vibes is eliminated. I have I have down, and I could be missing something. Ref bump, table bump, multiple M3, ref bumps, multiple ref bumps, table bump. M3K running, but the ta- and, and the table doesn't break. I have finishing move on Kai, but the referee is down, and then he's late to count the pinfall, so the match continues. Protein powder attack, box attack, and then M3K protein and box attack. And I think I might have missed some chair stuff in there. That is... Yeah, there was a lot of chair stuff. Like, that th- is, that's fine. That, that, there was that just a lot much. of chair stuff. Yes. Too much, yeah. And, like, other than the rubber band attack case, is there a historical uh, Dragon System heel attack that they did not do in this match within, like, the same 10 minutes? No, I, I, I can't think of one. I mean, you would, you would have to think, like, maybe the Italian Connection monkey? Yeah. Zebrats like, doesn't have that, but that's that's about it. Hey, y- y- who's to say that when some people are coming back from Mexico, Zuki might be with them. We might I was, get them I was just DM thinking, back. like, it would be so sick if Diamante just brought back a mini just for shits and giggles. Like, Ultimo brought in Diamante exclusively to work with, with Diamante. And in return, Diamante's like, well, I'm bringing the little guy. Like, we're coming back and we're doing this. We're doing this right. 
I, I think it's time for a new mini in the dragon system. But I don't know if you want to go mini Monte, though. No, because mini, mi, mi, no, mini Monte is such a good name that you actually have to do it now. It's kind of yeah, like Kung, the, it's kind of like Kung Fuda. It's too good to ignore. Yeah, but mini Monte, I feel like it has to be Minorita then, right? Because then you got like Minorita, mini Monte. Like you, you, you kind of have to do that. He could do it. I mean, if anybody could yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, I hate that. Like, t- Takumi Hayakawa is not living like his best reality because he's too entertaining. So he can't be the wrestling machine. Uh, I know. I want. Ult- I want him to be a shooter. Like that's the thing. I want. I want Kaisuke Akuda's approach, but for Minorita because he's so good at being a wrestling machine, and it's just not going to happen. I mean, I think that he could finish a four, an almost 60-year-old J- Japanese MMA legend, unlike other promotions. Oof, okay. Yeah, but uh, th- this Twin Gate match, man, like, it, it, it's something where you just get so much happening, and the crowd not re- the, the, the crowd enjoy, like, Junior and Mochi getting involved, but the... Uh, it, it, if it was something where, like, you were getting the reactions you saw out of Mad Blanky versus Jimmy's, like, that kind of stuff, then I'd be okay with that, but it just was not happening. No, I went I went three and a quarter on this, and, you know, there was a point in the match where, you know, I, I, I could have talked myself into going four. It looked like three and three quarters, and then by the end of it, I was just deflated and tired and just wanted to move on. Yep, three and three quarters. Uh, something that I, I know you're really high on, I thoroughly enjoyed as well the special singles match on the show yamato against fujita jr hayato from michinoku pro and it was yamato winning in 19 minutes with a version of his dojime sleeper where he was doing a full-on body scissors and it took that much for fujita jr hayato to go out this either this or the uh, six-man tag i feel like was the best thing on the show Oh, this was match of the night pretty easily to me, four and a quarter stars. And I wrote this in my review, and I, I, I've, you know, I've said this throughout the year. I, I am so glad they have done what they've done with Yamato this year, which is not a drastic repackaging, not a big character change. The guy still wears high end trunks. It's not like all that much with Yamato has changed, but. Just to he know, got new new gear for the showcase, and it's exactly the same as the high end <laughs> gear. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, just to know that he's not going to be the next Dreamgate champion. He's probably not challenged for the Twin Gate belts, and if he does, it'll be interesting. You know, there's no titles on the horizon for this guy. the The year of, for lack of a better term, Yamato's year of fucking around. I think has been so awesome. He was great in Ray Day Parejas. He was fun this summer. The Hiromu match wasn't great, but I'm glad it happened. And then he has this match here, which I thought was truly great. And in a credit, I want to mention this, uh, you know, before I forget, a credit to Jay and Ho Ho Loon. Uh, you know, they're, they're a great announced team. And I always feel like on these big shows, they have one match that they really go above and beyond with. And, and Jay telling the story of Hayato here was marvelous you know no other broadcaster has the background knowledge of Hayato that he does I thought he explained all of that stuff so so well so the atmosphere for this match I thought was pretty special and then the in-ring work you know this was essentially an updated version of Yamato versus Fred Yehai from AAW last year I thought that was you know probably the best Yamato match of 2022 
And then they came in here and did a lot of the same spots and I thought had a similar, uh, a great result. Yeah, and to piggyback on the Jay and Ho-Ho uh, comment, it's something where I feel like Jay and Ho-Ho, for like the act and the way it works, it it, it is always exceptional. But this one, like it felt like in a lot of ways, this was a lot more of a grounded call because you could tell both of their respect for Fujita. And that came off and it was more like talking about it, not necessarily talking about him in hushed tones, but talking about it in a way that I feel like was such a departure from how usual stuff is in Dragon Gate that I felt like that was really kind of cool as well. I like the way that they built this match around the kid choke and the way that each time that uh, Fujita had it on Yamato, the first time he was able to get his he was able to get his ankles picked and that messed him up for his match. And then the other time he turned into a brain buster. And even from like that point, it was very clear that even though Yamato went for the gallery, I got a kick out of this. This was not going to be that kind of match. And I liked the idea that it was like working around the finishers in that sort of way. That was not going to be like, okay, two galleries and we're going home. It, it, it had more to it. Yeah, the spot that Yamato did when he was in the kid choke at one point and he picked the legs of Hayato and turned a, a chokehold that he was in into a leg submission that he applied. He did a spot very similar against Yehai last year at AAW. And from my vantage point at that show, I could tell what was going on, but I don't think most people in the building could. But I put that away and I went, man, that is that is such a brilliant spot. And I've never really seen anybody do that in the context of a wrestling match. And then he busted it out again here. I thought it came across better this time because Hayato... Uh, you know, is is Hayato, and and he is a guy who, with the high, uh, with the you know, not to not to use a pun here, but the high end performances that Hayato has had this year, he's a top fifty wrestler for me in the world. I think he's just been outstanding, and uh, yeah, everything about this I thought was great. This was far and away my match of the night. Before that, we had the other special guest on the program, as it was the Reiwa leaders of Binkei, Strong Machine J, and Yuki Yoshioka defending Dragon Gate against Don Fuji and Misaki Mochizuki, along with their pro wrestling WAR compatriot, Tomohiro Ishii. It was a Masakari machine suplex and frog splash to get the finish on this one. I think I like this match a bit more than you did, but I wanted to get your thoughts before I before, before I start booking my new hot single program of the summer. Yeah, I, this did not light my world on fire. I, you know, nothing is a lot like the main event. Nothing was wrong with it. But I do feel like if you run this match 100 times, we saw the the worst version of it. You know, this is a match that 99 times out of 100 is great just given the talent involved. And I don't think I don't think we hit that today, uh, you know, with this match. I, I really like the Ben K. Ishii stuff, but everything else about it up until the, you know, the very end with Yoshioka and Mochizuki, I just, I just thought this was another flat match. You know, this had the intensity of Yamato versus Hiromu from World and it needed to have the same level of intensity as Yamato versus Hayato, the match that immediately followed it. So I love this match because of Strong Machine J and Don Fuji. Because okay. Don, Don Fuji just decided, okay, 
I don't have a lot to sink my teeth into. I'm going to beat the shit out of the mask guy. And Strong Machine J, as we've seen, like, especially since joining Natural Vibes and in this year, he was more than willing to dish it back. And I mean, we've danced around the machine army for years now. I think that that if you're not really doing something with a machine J, there, there, there is some there, there's some distance you can make up with uh him and Don Fuji. I thought those two were fun, but yeah, no, Ishii. E, the, the the sad thing about this match, and even though like I was three and three quarters, I was close to going four on it. Uh, it the you got the great Ishii and Benkei face off, but that was really it with Ishii and the Dragon Gate guys. There was it it almost felt like in a way that you had like two singles matchups, and then Yoshioka and and, Ma- and Masaki Mochizuki were kind of there along for the ride to me. And that was the thing that was kind of it. Because I felt like I felt like Mochizuki, weirdly enough, felt like the missing person in this match. Uh, yes, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I felt the same thing and I just never would have expected that going in. It, it was, you know, I, I, I can't point to, oh, well, you know, the, they were, you know, not official units. It was the Reiwa Six guys, whatever, whatever the match just didn't gel. And I, I just had a bad feeling from the opening match on this show, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves here when Kaito Nagato slipped on a few of those dives, where as soon as I saw that, I went, Oh no, we're, we're in for one of those shows. And luckily it doesn't seem like anybody really got hurt, but all of the matches that should have clicked just didn't for whatever reason. And this was, you know, like I said, I, I think you run this match a hundred times 99 of them are great and this just this was not that and after this match this is probably the time where we should talk about this they went to intermission after this match but in doing so in the post-match shimizu comes out he does he lays out the challenge for the other three members of the reiwa six they haven't faced yet uh ben immediately agrees as the strong machine j yuki yoshioka there's a little bit of hesitance with but right after that, we got a special video package coming back from intermission with a update for one Takuma Nishikawa, who will be making his Japanese debut at Corkin on September 7th, his now closest 17-month excursion uh, last leg of training is now over, it seems. Yes, so for those that don't know, maybe that's a new name to you, but Takuma Nishikawa is a member of the class of 2022. So his peers are Mochizuki Jr. and Kaito Nagano and Yoshiki Kato and Daiki Yanagiyuchi. Uh, after Kobe World last year, Nishikawa was shipped off to Mexico, where he's been working primarily IWRG, uh, you know, some random AAA shows here and there, and some really small indies, uh, oftentimes with La Estrella, uh, those guys have have hung out a lot over there. Nishikawa is a very big wrestler for Dragon Gate standards. Let me get his height here real quick just to, to sort of put it in perspective because he might be the tallest guy on the roster when he comes in. Nishikawa is 183 centimeters, which in feet... I think he Shun is, is 180. Yeah. Um, so Nishikawa is six feet tall, which for Dragon Gate is... That's like a seven-footer for any other roster. Um, and so, you can't teach that in Dragon and you can't, Gate. And you can't teach that, Rocky Romero. So Nishikawa is going to come in. Uh, he's six feet tall, but he is a high flyer, whereas his peer, Yoshiki Kato, who everybody expects those guys to be generational rivals, Kato is obviously a power guy. 
So the thought long-term is that Nishikawa and Kato will collide with one another like Shingo and Hulk, like Tozawa and Yamato, like Mochizuki and, and, and Shima. You know, the, the future seems to be there. But like I said, Nishikawa, he's been in Mexico for the last year. Six feet tall, his favorite wrestler is Ricochet. So expect a lot of that. If you want to see his work in Mexico, some of it is on the Dragon Gate Network. Um, he debuted against Ricky Marvin last year. I know that's on there. I think there's a tag match with him and Shun on there as well. And then you can YouTube his name. I've watched pretty much everything of Nishikawa's that's made tape. I can't point to anything directly that I could say, go watch this. Here's the potential. Here's why people are excited about this guy. But I chalk that up to he is working low-level Lucha Indies. And I just don't think his style and his approach are fit for that environment, especially with him being, you know, a baby, all things considered. Yeah, so, like, I guess, like, my attitude with, like, Nishikawa doing this is, like, I don't expect, like, for people, like, asking recommendations, like, that's not really the point of Nishikawa being in Mexico for the last year and a half. Like, this is something that it's a lot more like the Torimon days, where you do your first stages of training, and then you go finish up in Mexico. That's what that kind of felt like for me about him uh his profile like the one thing about nishikawa that constantly uh would hear about is that he is someone that he is a little older and he carries himself as that and i think he made like the conscious decision as like that to do like dragon gate i think basically what i'm saying is he's someone that does seem like that the last 18 months it's not going to be a thing where as many times in the past, as soon as they get back, they're trying to go back out, essentially. No, no. I, you know, And he made very good relationships over in Mexico with some of the wrestlers there, some of the fans mm-hmm. there, uh, and, and had a nice little Japanese community there between, you know, at first Kinto and, and Takuma, and then later Estrella, and I'm blanking on the name of the Michinoku pro trainee who Kukai. went over there. Yes, yeah, Kukai. Um, so he's had a nice little foundation there. But, you know, as Jay alluded to when we talked to him in May, Nishikawa took his training over there pretty seriously, but I do think he's ready to get back to Japan. My question for you is, what's the immediacy of the push? And his him coming back in September is relevant because he is yeah. from uh, he he is from the uh, Kanagawa Prefecture. Kanagawa, Yokohama is where Gate of Bayside is in January. I would expect him to be in a big match by January, assuming he delivers the way that they think he's going to deliver. And I think it's something with the fact that he's coming at this point where not to infer, but I don't think he's the only person making a return in September. And I think one that's can, one, come one can only hope one, one can only. Yeah. Hope. And, I, and I do think Diamante, as we talk about future Dreamgate guys, I think Diamante probably has to be mentioned too. Right. Yeah. I think it's something where just with like the situation, if anything, like, the fact that Hyo and Kai lost at the Twin Gate and then added in with Nishikawa making finally his debut and with uh, Diamante's return looming, I think we might start seeing some chairs shuffled on the deck pretty quickly. Hit the uh, hit the fantasy booking theme song real quick. The the sound effect, if you if you wouldn't mind, the bow, 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 fantasy booking alert. Shimizu beats Kakuta in November. 
Skywalker beats Shimizu in January. Diamante, Luis Meza, beats Skywalker in July, Kobe World for the Dreamgate belt. Why are we not doing that? Explain to me why that is not the path. I think that Diamante is the rare person where you can do that path, whereas you the, the scenario never presented itself for Ricochet or Pac in that regard. Like you can do this now where you can't where you could not before and you probably won't ever again. So yeah, why not do that, it? you know, that's that's an interesting point. Not to get totally sidetracked here, but well, I don't know. That's tough. D- does Diamante, you know, Ricochet and Pac were obviously family, but does Diamante feel more integrated into the day-to-day of Dragon Gate than a Ricochet or Pac ever did? I think, though, three years of COVID, man, that changes relationships, and that kind of, I think in some ways that might make him, him more family, you know? Well, it, it, cert- it certainly does within the eyes of the company. And that's been told to me by multiple people that, you know, Diamante stayed through COVID and that that really meant something to Dragon Gate. Right. So I, I, I think it's something where if if it was a scenario where we were talking about Diamante and we did not have the specter of, he stayed for three years when he didn't have to and half a country, half a world away during a pandemic. And it was just like, he was here for three and a half years. I wouldn't say that. I don't think that he would be considered as much family. I think it's, it's circumstantial in a lot of ways. Would it be fair to say that I, I don't know if Ricochet ever felt as integrated into the day to day as well, here, let, let me phrase it like this. When Ricochet and Pac felt equally as integrated, it was 2011, and they were Bravegate guys and not Dreamgate guys. And right. now Diamante's in a position where he feels like a Dreamgate guy. Yeah, and I think like that's kind of like the big difference there, is even if you like look at how both uh, Ricochet and Pac uh, became Dreamgate champions, and you might find something uh, in the future about Ricochet becoming Dreamgate champion, I think you would look at it with like Pac coming in fresh off of WWE and like that kind of thing, let him kind of be forced up in that sort of way where he was a Dreamgate challenger in 2012, but it was not, it was a, a different kind of scenario. Like the ceiling was still there that for that. And with Ricochet, I, I really wonder with, within that 2014, if it was like seeing the uh, waves and being like, well, we should get in on this as well while the getting is good. I just want to go back and watch Shima versus Pac for the Dreamgate belt now. That match, that match. Oof, boy, that is that is fucking pro wrestling. Uh, as for Nishikawa, if you were booking his debut, Cork in September, who would you have him up against? Like the 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 problem is is how I would book him would not be in like a debut match, like a one on one. But I the the safe one is always Susumu. But with his size, though, and the fact they're going to want him to fly, they might try to put him up against Kai just so that he can fly. And it's not like, why is this guy who is three inches taller than this getting caught by uh, someone else? Like, that's going to be a consideration if you want him to fly, right? I, I Kai was my first thought. And I like that because Kai is considered a bigger guy on the roster, but Nishikawa is bigger than him. And I think that would be effective. 
I'm going to throw a name at you that might seem outrageous, but if I had the power to do it, I really think I would do it. And that would be Nishikawa in a singles match in his debut versus Ata. That would be fascinating. It would it would be a hot match. You would ideally Ata would give him one or two big near falls, and then he'd tap him out, and we'd you know we'd go on with it. But I just I just think that dynamic would be super super interesting. Yep, that would be. Yeah, if you aren't going to be like having him show out just hitting his spots like having eight that would be yeah i didn't think about that one before but <laughs> i think i think kai is is a very very good answer there because kai's big he can base but nishikawa is bigger they're not doing a mike awesome kevin nash deal where they're putting nishikawa against the only guy that's taller than him so i i like that i would i would certainly consider going in that direction yeah, no, I it just is something that like when I was like thinking of big guys, like well, you can't have Shimizu, Yoshida, I, you don't put in those kind of scenarios, <laughs> and then you're kind of like they're not going to have Kakuda or Kato, so Kai is the only person for that kind of thing. I feel like. Yep, uh, the, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I'm excited. I just want to say real oh, quick yeah. before we move on, I'm I'm excited for Nishikawa coming back. I think I think that is. Uh, an interesting injection into the back half of the year. And as someone that's watched a lot of his work in Mexico, I'm really curious to see what he looks like in the Dragon Gate environment because he just hasn't, he hasn't wrestled very many good wrestlers in his debut match was against Ricky Marvin. So even when you had him against a big name, a good name, a talented name, it was his debut match. I don't know what the plans are, you know, I mean, he was still in Mexico as of a few days ago, but I would get him back and I would get him on the road and I would get him in the ring with as much of the roster as you can just to have him work on that timing and pacing, et cetera, uh, so that he can hit the ground running. Because I think he has worlds of potential, but he hasn't been put, you know, in those positions in Mexico in positions to succeed. Yeah, like Ricky Marvin might be the most talented guy he worked against his entire time. So... It's something yeah, I mean, either that or like like Chris Daniels, maybe. Right. So it just kind of you you, kind of like take a step back and you're like, oh, yeah. And it also makes sense, like acclimation wise, get him used to the timing there. Uh, The third out of the three title matches we had at Dangerous Gate was Ishan versus Mochizuki Jr. for the Brave Gate, revisiting their feud from last year in the building where Ishan debuted. Now it's two years, but. As of uh, Dangerous Gate, it was almost two years to the day. Ishin is able to put away Mochizuki Jr. with the death penalty in 11 minutes and 8 seconds. And, and a kind of fascinating kind of uh, Brave Gate match. Not not the direction I thought they were going to go, at least, with how this match was kind of set up. Caves. I Look, I, I have nothing but good things to say about Mochizuki Jr. I, I thought this was possibly the best performance of his career thus far because he worked a big singles match with the excitement and fervor that a guy working his first big singles match should the Fosbury flop dive that basically turned into an inverted meteora was insane and I love that he did that that is the type of energy that was missing from this entire show all of these guys were working at half speed and Mochizuki Jr. was working at 200%. And it's why he continues to be, in my opinion, one of the most exciting wrestlers, not only on the roster, but in the world. 
Yeah, I guess where I say it wasn't what I expected was he came out like a house of fire, like basically during the, the introductions, took Ishin off his feet. But that was really it for Mochizuki Jr. He had his moments, but he was, after that point, completely... I, I don't want to say he was just, like, buried, because it was not that kind of match. It was very much one where it was that he was able to fight back, but it was very much, like... Ishan in control. I came out of this thinking this was the complete Ishan match. That's interesting. I, I, I'm not quite there only because, so, you know, I almost want to go back and rewatch this match just to see if it holds true on, on a second time because my thought was they came out super hot. Junior was doing big moves. I was super into it. And then Ishan took control in the match. It's not that it fell apart in terms of botches and mistakes, but the momentum was not there that there was in the beginning. Ishan, I thought, slowed the match down just a little bit too much, and they got it back at okay. the end. And I would have went four stars had it had a steady line of momentum throughout, but I thought it dipped just a little too far in the control period, got a little too slow and a little too methodical, and it took away a little bit of the match for me. Now, as for Ishan as a whole... Uh, the concerns and the reservations that I had in May, June, July are no longer there. I think Ishan is going to do a very good job as Bravegate champion. Uh, perhaps uh, he won't hit the highs that his character has been preaching about, you know, the pox and ricochets and Flamitas and the Bravegate champions of a decade ago. But I do think he's going to have a good run. I do think he's incredibly talented. And I think even if he's still a little bit rough around the edges, I think it's it, he's in a good spot. Baseball fans, are you excited for the upcoming season? I know I am. It is time to gear up and show your team spirit with MLB Shop, the official online store of Major League Baseball. Find the latest jerseys, hats, apparel, and collectibles for all 30 MLB teams at MLB Shop. Represent your favorite players, your hometown team, or relive classic moments with exclusive throwback gear. Gear up for the season at MLB Shop. Whether you're cheering from the stands or watching at home, show your love for the game with official MLB merchandise. Make sure you use our exclusive link, voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop to help support the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Again, that's voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop. You'll pay the exact same price, the exact same items. Everything is exactly the same about your shopping experience, but a small percentage of every sale comes back to us. So again, it's voicesofwrestling.com slash MLB shop, the official online store of Major League Baseball. I think the rough around the edges still works for him. And it is something where like he does slow it down. But to me, at least for this match, like he was slowing it down by doing like crazy ape and bumps. He was like it turning kicks or like the high knees into Kamada choke slams. It was not just like grabbing a hold. It, it, it was some of effect. And it was something that if he's going to kind of be this power junior kind of thing, I want to see that out of, my power junior champion and i and it was something that i don't think we really got out of him even defeating jason lee we didn't get to see him kind of play that power junior role to the level that we saw but the, the sad thing is is that i thought that this was really well done i thought that probably with the exception of how much i really enjoyed fuji and jay favorite one of the favorite things on the card here but the crowd it, this was something that i was 
three and three quarters, I probably would have gone up a full half star if the crowd was a part of it. And I feel like that would have helped out the Ishin control portions as well. I would agree with that. You know, I think if this match happened in front of the crowd at World or the crowd at Dead or Alive, uh, which was not a great crowd at Dead or Alive, but nevertheless, I you know I, I I could see that going up a quarter star, and then for me it would have made notebook. But a, as it stands, three and three quarter stars, and you know not only does this feud continue to deliver, but Junior just as a whole, I you know I I just think it's all gonna hit us in the face one day that like oh. oh. He's he's a top 15 guy in the world, and it's just going to happen, and it's going to sneak up on people, and I'm trying to warn people, this is happening, and it's going to happen soon. I mean, Case, during his entrance here, I know you're not an entrance or gear guy, but uh, Junior coming out like with like his own tights, with a new Sukiyun jacket, and just like... The pose, like, and, and, like, not doing, like, M3K things, but instead of, like, just, like, screaming at towards the camera, I was like, oh, he's there. L- like, yep. it was, like, an aura of cool that, like, I knew it was going to come because of who his dad is. Like, I do believe that being cool can be a genetic gift, and I was wondering when it might kind of pop up there, but him coming out in his brand new gear, new jacket, kind of new attitude, he's there for me on that. We are in the infancy though we we have seen one percent of his career and he is already this good and it might sound like a broken record because i just did this whole spiel for kento and fujiwara and i stand by every word i said they those two have put themselves in a position that will prevent them from being all-time greats in the context of dragon gate and possibly beyond junior I would hope to God is locked in here. And if this is the first chapter of his career, 14 months in still attached to his father by name, by unit, by look, we are in for such a special career. Oh man. He's going to look so cool as hell in five years from now. I can just only imagine. I know it's in, in Ishan's going to grow right with him, which is the great thing. Yeah, yeah, no, like, that's the, the that's the real fun thing about that, and really, w- when we talk about the stuff before intermission, this is the only thing, other than what we touched on Ishii and Ben, because when you get to the two openers case, I'm just going to take them at, at, at the same time, because they're basically kind of the same thing. You had Ultimo teaming with Naruki Doi, BB Hulk, Ho-Ho was in for Minorita, who tweaked his knee, uh, just having, like, the most Ultimo match against suji kondo kakatora punch Summonaga, and problem dragon you listeners you could guess the finish it was the la magistral on punch after seven minutes of punch and then the opener with uh daya nagano and daiki versus kz shimizu and ut nice to see daiki in new gear but that was an a easy night at the office for the more senior members of natural vibe I have I have no thoughts on those outside of what you just said. Hey, that's why I figured we should just bundle them there because when my note I have for the opener is new gear Daiki, Daya collects all the toys, Ginky on commentary is needed for this dreadful crowd, LOL the tassels on Daiki's gear and doing a Meteora and not being called that. I did like Daiki's gear a lot. Yeah, he needed something with the all white thing. It just did not look like completed gear, like the tassels and the color. It, it, it was needed. I agree. So a, a good step in the direction for him. Unfortunately, not a very eventful match otherwise. 
Yep, and that was a not essentially eventful Dangerous Gate show for Dragon Gate. They are back on the road this week. They're they're, they're in Kobe Sambo Hall for the monthly stop on Saturday, and then it is uh it is the annual Nara Centennial Hall show for Naruki Doi's homecoming. Be interesting to see if anything comes out of that this this Saturday. Oh, I that's Sunday. This that's Sunday. Well. That's Sunday. Yes. Yeah, that that is Sunday. Both of those shows are on the Dragon Gate Network. Uh, can I run through the Kobe card real quick before we go? Oh, they're out. I did not see the Kobe card already. Please do. Yeah. So, uh, you know the the Doi Homecoming show in Nara. It's a good looking show, but there's nothing that I'm gonna stop down and talk about. Kobe uh, Sambo Hall, August 26th. It is Dragon Gate Summer Festival in Kobe. They did this gimmick in Osaka last year. It drew very well. They are doing it in Kobe this year. And Mike, are you ready for this card? Let's do it. Match number one, Masaki Mochizuki and Ryo Fuda versus Yoshiki Kato and Ryoya Tanaka. Thoughts on that? I hope Kato and Tanaka have good mouth guards. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sora Fujikawa, please send them an email uh, with advising them what not to do. Uh, I'll get your thoughts after each one of these matches because I think they're interesting. Match number two, eight man tag Jackie Funky Kame, Jason Lee, Ho Ho Loon, and Super Shinlong 2 making their return versus Ultimo Kagatora, Takashi Yoshida, and Punch Tamanaga. Any thoughts there? I wonder if Shenlong 2 is going to have the clear mask or if it's going to be traditional Shenlong. Because remember, Shenlong 2 was. Uh... Someone now known as Mondai Ryu, who did not like being Shenlong 2 and started unmasking and doing clear masks during that. Do you remember that case? <laughs> I, I very vaguely do. <laughs> That's why you keep me around here, because I remember just Aradia from 2011 Dragon Gate shows. Somebody has to do it. I'm thankful it's you. Match number three, Karaoke Machine, Sashihoko Machine, and Strong Machine Ichikawa versus Kai, Hyo, and Ishin. Five stars, no notes. <laughs> Match number four, Susumu Mochizuki versus Yasushi Kanda. Well, that's nice. Yeah, right? That's, I'm, yeah, look, if, if Kanda nice. has a good singles match, it's going to fuck with my head. Prepare yourself. He's having a career year. This is the 4% chance of happening out of 25 years. This is the best one. Just, I'm going to have one. At the end of my year, I'm going to have both Fujita Jr. Hayato and Yasushi Kanda on my SFM 50 list. And those are miracles for drastically different reasons. Yeah, and I feel like you're completely justified in both of those cases. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's going to be that way, but there is an itching like feeling in the back of my head right now when we start talking ulties at the end of the year where i'm gonna look at all my four stars or better matches and i'm gonna have to like do like a number three um like um most uh outstanding vote for yuzushi kanda just because you'll have that many four star matches he's a part of i feel like it would be intellectually dishonest of me to not have him on there like i have to entertain that possibility in that case Match number five, Big Boss Shimizu, UT, and Eita versus Dragon Kid, Dragon Daya, and Shuji Kondo. I hope Eita offers UT a carton of cigarettes as a bad influence on UT. Yeah, I, I, I'm also looking forward to Shuji Kondo now, now not only having to deal 
with his eternal rival and annoyance in Dragon Kid, but he has to deal with Dragon Kid's protege on his team. Yep, I am into that. And then your main event, eight-man tag team match, Madoka Kakuta, Coach Minora, Ben K, and Strong Machine J versus Yamato, BB Hulk, KZ, and Naruki Doi. I like that one a lot. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the finish there is going to be. I'm really curious to see what they do there. I mean, it's, I feel like, oh, no Hulk's a champion. Yeah, that's difficult. I don't know. Yeah, I guess you one. could, well, hmm. no Hulk's not a champion. I thought, I, I don't know why I thought he was still trying. No, no, it, it's, it's Minora Minorita and Doi. Right. Yeah. So yeah, let's, you know. Let's have Kakuta and Hulk and move on. No, no funny business here with KZ. No funny business here with Yamato. Let's do the right thing, boys. Yep, no shenanigans here. And yeah, no, I'm looking at that Nara show. It looks like a good homecoming show. Like no, like Kamei versus Fuda. Pardon me, Kamei versus Fuda is your Mike Spears sicko choice of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Um, hey, you know what? Let me let me run through this real quick. I'll, I'll run through all these matches at once. Doi homecoming show on the Dragon Gate Network. This is Sunday. KZ, Shimizu, and UT versus Minora, Benke, and Hulk. Kamei versus Fuda. Eight-man meaningless tag, Ultimo, Genki, Kanda, and Sachihoko Boy versus Kagatora, Yoshido, Punch, and Hoho Loon. Match number four, Madoka Kakuta and Dragon Daya versus Strong Machine J and Jason Lee. And match number five, your main event, Doi, Yamato, and Dragon Kid versus Kai, Hyo, and Ishin. I love that Strong Machine J, Jason tag team. I do too. Like, that is something that I feel like whenever it pops up, I'm like, I like that combo. Well, I really like that combo. And I feel like, oh, uh, no, Jason's probably going to eat, eat the fall there. I was like, Strong Machine J pinning Daya, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. I will follow your two maybes with two maybes of my own. I'll take that. I'll take that. But that's what we have coming up this weekend in Dragon Gate. They will be back in Corkin on the 7th for September. They're closing out uh, this August lineup. Uh, no other shows up until uh, they actually get like four days off between yeah. Nara and their backup in Aichi. So that's going to do it for us this week on Open the Voice Gate. Thanks for sticking around and listening this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Case is at underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. Uh, Case, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? I do not. That's it. Uh, we'll see you next week on Open the Voice Gate. Take care, everyone. Hola, hola. My name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and, of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.